Welcome to the Founders and Creators podcast, a series of interviews and discussions with founders, creators, and leaders from the tech industry in Milton Keynes and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by Protospace, an initiative to support, connect, and grow the tech community in Milton Keynes. Today, we're speaking with Sophie Neal, freelance content creator at Social Etc., and founder of Sophie Etc., a blog dedicated to helping us discover the best independent places to eat and explore in Milton Keynes. In this episode, we discuss how her career got started, the effects of the pandemic on her work, the local food scene and its evolution, and some of her key lessons learned in starting her own blog and business. Hi, Sophie. Could you tell us a little bit about your background? So my name is Sophie. Um, I'm 26. I was born in Milton Keynes um, and I now live in Milton Keynes with my partner um, and our crazy cockapoo Monty. Um, I've got a degree in English literature and creative writing from the University of Birmingham um, and following on from that um, I worked for a B2B PR agency um, and then worked at Bletchley Park as social media officer and now I run my own business um, as a food and lifestyle content creator um, which is what I'm probably most known for and I offer social media consultancy and management for independent businesses and brands. So you say you, you live here now you weren't born here? Uh, I am yeah I was born here oh. yeah so I was born and raised in Milton Keynes. Um, my parents were born in Milton Keynes I think a year before it was um, it was Milton Keynes. My grandparents actually lived in Milton Keynes village um, and they moved here. Um, they were also born in the, the towns that now make up Milton Keynes, um, specifically Bletchley. And some of the listeners may be familiar with um, a toy shop that was on Queensway in Bletchley called Neil's Toys. Um, and that was my granddad's toy shop. Um, so yeah, that's where my my family is is rooted very much in Milton Keynes. <laughs> cool. I used to go to Queensway quite a lot when I was young. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> you were, was Neil's Toys there still? Or, I think or... so. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I remember going. Sorry, this is very uh, very Milton Keynes based, but yeah, go, <laughs> it was going to the Sainsbury's was like the only supermarket um, <laughs> a long way around at the time before the Central Milton Keynes was built. So, we used to go there. So, <laughs> uh, what do you love about MK? Um, I, th- I love it because there's such a sense of community, um, both in a social sense and um, in a business sense. So um, to be completely honest, it has not always been my favourite place. Growing up here before I went to university, um, I didn't uh, like I, I didn't want to stay. I thought I was going to go to uni and, 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 and not come back. Um, but opportunities came up for jobs around here. I moved back home to live with my parents. Um, and since I started using my blog as a means to explore the independent scene, um, I've sort of re re fallen in love with it. And now I'm the first person to jump on the defensive if someone starts slating it, uh, particularly if they've not been here. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a, a unique thing about Milton Keynes. Once you do live here and you start to explore and understand it better, then you fall in love with it for, for all the reasons you kind of mentioned there. Um, one of those things you mentioned was community. Um, and obviously as part of what we're doing is with ProSpace is building a community around uh, the tech industry here. Now, community for you is obviously incredibly important with regard to your, your blog um, and the content you create today. Can you just give us a bit of insight into the early days of starting that 
and um, the point you realised you were speaking to a much wider audience than maybe just family and friends? So Sophie etc started life as a um, as a beauty and fashion blog in 2012 when I was still at sick form. Um, so I was inspired by other bloggers like Zoella um, and, and various other sort of fashion influencers. Um, and I, I just I was like, I'm going to set up a blog. I wrote about everything. I like took my camera, put it on self timer and stuff, took photos of my outfits and, and very, very random things like that. And then um, when I went to university, I discovered um, the independent food scene in Birmingham and uh, sort of started getting food um, blogging invites to go to restaurants and stuff and review the food. Um, I then became the editor of the newspaper um, for uh, the university for the food section. And that's where I sort of thought like, okay, I really love writing about food and, and exploring independent businesses and, and writing about stuff that's a bit different and that people might not necessarily know about. So when I came back to Milton Keynes, I started to sort of root myself in the local food scene, not completely intentionally, to be honest, because I still didn't really see how my blog really could become a lot like larger than it was. And then I started to realise that everything that I was putting out about specifically Milton Keynes and, and sort of like these little hidden gems like street food events and small restaurants, people were responding really well to that. And I was gaining quite a large following as a Milton Keynes based um, based uh, content creator. So uh, and then lockdown hit and my audience on Instagram, I think, was around 5000. And my blog was sort of getting around between like six to 10,000 views um, on, a, on a good month. Um, and lockdown hit and everybody was looking for local businesses to support because the supermarkets were running out of food. People didn't want to go to the supermarket either. Um, and the, the views sort of started to tick up. And I think I, I put out a post in March just before lockdown about places that were offering takeaway. Uh, and that has been that's had like over 60,000 views like it comes up on the first page of Google like um, and that's when I sort of started to think like okay like this is this is sort of you know and I was I was seeing on other Facebook group people were recommending my content I wasn't having to like shout about it and I think that's the tipping point when like other people like associate you with with something um you know people say independent food and drink and they're now like Sophie etc that's like where you go people post in sort of like generic Milton Keynes Facebook groups and they say I'm looking for somewhere for brunch and people link my blog post about brunches in Milton Keynes so I feel like yeah definitely the last 12 months since lockdown um my audience has has grown massively and yeah on Instagram I now have over 12,000 followers my blog is hitting like 30,000 views a month consistently um and yeah, I feel like I've sort of stepped into that, um, sort of embodied a, 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 an online brand and persona um, a lot more, if you like. My personal experience, everything you described there, I, I can relate to with, you know, your 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 blogs and everything as well. Just just friends, you know, mentioning hmm. something from your blog or linking to it in, you know, in private conversation as well as social. Um, and I think seeing that tipping point happen is 
is really interesting from an outside perspective. And obviously it's very exciting uh, from your point of view as well. And I think that's like really important in business, right? Yeah. You know, finding your niche um, and finding your audience. <clears throat> and then the great thing about social is your audience by default is almost community because you have that sense of um, conversation and sharing built into it. Yeah. Um, so, in, and that's just like a really great recipe today in today's world. So just leading on from, from your blog, we may, we may kind of revisit it, but um, how did social, et cetera, start? So social, et cetera, is my, my freelance uh, social media management and consultancy business. And it was born purely out of, of lockdown, to be honest. Um, I've always wanted to set up my own business, um, doing my own thing. And it was sort of very much in my like five year plan, maybe. Um, and I, I started my social media role at Bletchley Park in 2019, um, November 2019. And then we went into lockdown in March um, of 2020. And I I wasn't furloughed. I worked basically every day <laughs> between March and Christmas, um, which gave me like a real baptism of fire, if you like, in creating um, creating content for what was basically a purely online audience. Obviously, Bletchley Park was shut. Um, and uh, obviously a very different experience to what I anticipated, um, but it gave me a lot of experience. Um, and then when I was part-time furloughed, um, I decided to turn it into a bit of an opportunity um, to sort of lay the foundations, um, take a bit of a step back and have a look at how I could make my own business work. Um, I obviously have a lot of connections to independent and small businesses in Milton Keynes and the surrounding areas from the work that I do through my blog. Um, so putting a few feelers out to see if it's something that people would have been would be interested in in terms of social media management obviously it was quite a sensitive time especially with the hospitality industry everyone was um budgets weren't weren't massive um but also a lot of businesses have grown during the pandemic they've grown in awareness and they were going to have to hit the ground running when things started up again so i knew that there was going to be a market for it and i knew that people sort of already saw me as like a social media expert for small businesses anyway um and initially I was going to go part-time at Bletchley Park and then I quickly realised that I wasn't going to have capacity to do both. Um, so yeah, in April I said goodbye to full-time employment um, and hello to, to self-employed life. And to be honest, I haven't, I haven't looked back. Um, I really enjoy every day. Um, I'm working with various businesses um, and it's nice doing something where you feel like your work has that real real impact so it's still sort of in its its infancy and I'm still learning that every day I'm I'm learning something new about about business and you know time management and things like that but um on the whole it's been such a positive step and um I'm really excited was that an exciting or scary experience moving to to full-time working for yourself <laughs> um I expected it to be a lot scarier than it was I think because I think because the last year I've been I've been working from home so I was good the transition already sort of felt like it wasn't like I was working in the office nine to five uh, five days a week and I wasn't there wasn't like a massive step off point and I wasn't you know working every hour and under the sun scurrying away sort of as a, as a side hustle kind of thing so 
you know my my partner is very logical um and we sat down and we looked at the numbers and and stuff and the numbers said that i could cover my bills and i had a bit of a sort of contingency should i should things go a bit wrong um but yeah it didn't feel as scary as i thought it would i think because i was already working part-time and because um I've I've been running my blog for as a business for the last couple of years anyway so I sort of had the skills there it was more it's quite final isn't it you hand in your notice and your guaranteed income it, it is gotten obviously I've, I have guaranteed income with clients but um it the buck stops with you but yeah it's an intro interesting point you made there actually about um the kind of transition from full-time employment to self-employed because often people see you know, moving into self-employment as, you know, taking the plunge or like a big, it is a big step, but it was one that can be transitioned and that often gets overlooked. You know, mm -hmm. you mentioned, you know, side hustling. Um, and I think that's like something important. If you have a full-time job, you also have the time when you get home. And I mean, it's a lot easier that that time when you get home is a lot easier when you're young and you don't have responsibilities and you can stay up um, into the small hours of the morning easily. Um, but like that is a lot of time to start putting the foundations in for a business or exploring your passions. And like, mm -hmm. ultimately everyone wants to be happy and fulfilled in the work that they do. Um, and that, that time, you know, where your hobbies or your interests merge into work, which it kind of sounds like where your passion started and as a, and has evolved, um, is gr a great time to start laying the foundation. So you are transitioning rather than not, you know, not a hard stop and suddenly, income stops and you're having to start a business from zero to something but yeah so it's, uh, it's definitely definitely a, a good bit of advice for anyone considering taking um that step i, I think talking personal experience as well I, I, did, I did the same and you know and again it was and i know i'm sure but probably between the three of us uh for ollie and, and simon uh, on here as well we, we I think I'm sure we've all probably done a bit of that <clears throat> gone moved that transition and yeah I certainly did was the side projects that kind of thing and, and I know you know we've got lots of friends in the industry in various industries where they've moved into next thing you know they're creating products or, or started a magazine and they've all started as these side projects and passion projects and I think that's yeah it is that kind of like burning the midnight uh, oil and doing some extra time and um, to get that going isn't it I think helps that transition massively so I think also like you know the pandemic's also kind of spurred people on to kind of actually just go and do the things that they're really super passionate about um you know so I think we're obviously there's been all of these um reports about people starting businesses during lockdown so I think that's really you know one of the positives I guess of, of this kind of current situation that it's kind of encouraged people to kind of follow their their passions and their dreams uh, and starting their own businesses absolutely and i would not be having this conversation with you guys right now if there hadn't been a lockdown or a pandemic which i know is a re I'm, I'm you know i'm really lucky and privileged to be able to say that i've come out the other side of this and you know i've built a business out of it rather than um sort of, sort of losing out and and i know i know i'm very lucky but um yeah it's nice to actually be able to find a positive um positive in it and i think you're right in saying that yeah it's made people a lot of people reassess what they want to do you know people aren't commuting two hours in the morning and two hours at night to london they're not driving miles to work and they've suddenly got all this space in the morning and afternoon to spend with their family do passion projects 
um the working world is not is not the same anymore um which is a pretty crazy transformation i think it's taking that time as well to step back and and actually yeah reassess things a little bit as well you know is it's obviously been quite a scary time for <laughs> most people on the planet <laughs> um and yeah so i think sometimes i think it's that actually you know it, it can I can I pursue something I actually want to do rather than you know potentially a job? You know, lots of a lot of people don't always necessarily enjoy yeah. their jobs, do they? They're nine to five, so it's quite interesting. So, what what's been your sort of biggest challenge to date? So, well, sort of continuing the conversation around lockdown, really, is that I obviously started my business during lockdown. Um, in April, nothing was really open. Um, no one was doing anything socially, so the biggest challenge I've actually found is that I am having to really get into a new rhythm. I've had nothing else really to focus on other than being at home, my dog and my business, <laughs> um, which sounds a bit sad. Um, but obviously, you know, for the last year, we haven't been doing stuff socially, not been seeing friends, family, virtual calls are not quite the same. Um, so sort of establishing where my business fits into real life and how I want it to to work for me has been quite challenging um and obviously a lot of that is is sort of sitting down and looking at, at what i what i want because i left employed life because i wanted a bit more flexibility um which i've absolutely got so you know not having calls at three o'clock on a friday afternoon is quite a nice nice luxury um being a little bit you know finishing a little bit earlier those kind of things um but then also balancing the business because sometimes I do need to do a little bit of work out of hours balancing business with real life um so for something that's been sort of all consuming for the last year um trying to transition into that rhythm of like okay I do actually have a life outside of my business um has been has been quite challenging and, and sometimes um it can be quite overwhelming as well I'm, I'm sure like with the the work you do as well it and part of that, at least from the Sophie et cetera side, being, being a passion project. Out of curiosity, how do you manage that time? Or the, do you consider that work? Or do you consider that a hobby? Do you, do you leave that for outside of hours? And, and working hours be money earning hours? So I've, I've factored Sophie et cetera now into my working week a bit more. Obviously, before it used to be very much like after work, stealing a bit of time on my lunch break um you know working late into the evening um but because it's become such a big thing now and it is it's income it is income generating like i work with quite a lot of small businesses on paid partnerships so it does pay for itself um probably not by hour by hour um as my sort of my social etc stuff does um but it you know it, it does make me money and, and that's that's great um but yeah ultimately it's still a passion project and when it comes to sort of going out for dinner and stuff, social activities sort of merge into into that a bit because I'm like, oh, okay, we'll go to this restaurant because I've not been there. We'll have a nice evening, but I will take photos for my <laughs> for my blog and my Instagram because it's content. I, I don't. That's that's all I do. You know, I don't sit and and post them all whilst I'm I'm eating a burger kind of thing. But um, it is with with that kind of that kind of that kind of job if you like um you do have to set like boundaries so I try and switch off sort of like 
six, seven o'clock in the evening. Um, because I am also on social media pretty much most of the day for my other clients. So it, it can get quite like, oh yeah, you know, square eyes from looking at Instagram. Um, and most of it's sort of done on my phone as well. So um, yeah, I, I sort of factor that into the week and I have quite a good rhythm going with Sophie, et cetera. Now obviously it's quite established. Um, I have people helping me to moderate my Facebook group um and uh, i know that i want to get a certain number of instagram posts out and i need to get a newsletter out every month so i sort of you know i it doesn't feel too much like work because i love it so much and i have got into quite a good rhythm with it um but it's also okay sometimes i'm like oh, do you want i just need a break from it because <laughs> again yeah it can be quite overwhelming um but yeah um, just just on that it's reminded me actually that you have your um kind of organized dinner nights that you've started started doing last was that 2019 in fact did you start doing those uh yeah so uh, yeah. september 2019 was my first one with ole tapas bar and then i did um another one with uh, the brasserie at the mk college and then i did one literally like four weeks before lockdown i think in february 2020 um i wanted to do more um sophie supper club events but obviously lockdown has put a stop to that i did two virtual ones um during the third or fourth whatever number lockdown it was in March um, uh, as a virtual wine tasting night which was great um, but again with that I've sort of you know I've, I've got into a process with them I know what I need to do and I'm not the one cooking the food which is obviously a large weight I just have to sell the tickets and get people to the restaurant. <laughs> what, what was that like out of interest going from you know interactions with people virtually um, and then, you know, and then physically, basically bringing that community together physically. But what was the thinking behind it initially? And what were your kind of experiences of it? Oh, I think the supper clubs have been one of the best things that I decided to do because, um, like you said, yeah, I took it from virtual to physical. And my blog and the content that I put out on social media isn't to encourage people to stay on social media it's to encourage them to go and do something and go and support a local business or, or go out and explore um and so that was sort of one one strand of it um if i wanted to sort of give back to my audience if you like um the other the other reason i started it was because um as with most businesses you know, word of mouth is so powerful. And I say this as a social media manager, um, but word of mouth is still amazing. If you need to go somewhere to eat or you need, you know, you want to hire an office space or something, you would probably ask a friend or colleague first, whether it's via text message or email or whatever. Um, so the thinking behind the supper clubs was that if people have experienced a place once, they're more likely to go back and then they're more likely to recommend it to friends. And actually my first one, I think over 50% of the people that went to the tapas bar hadn't been before or hadn't heard of it. And most of them went back and they took like six, seven, eight people with them. They went with their friends, their family. Um, and for me, that was just like, I was like, that's, that's winning there. Cause obviously, you know, I've given them a really nice evening of food. There was some live music and it was, it was great fun. Um, but also the benefits for the restaurant are great because it's sort of you know their audience can snowball um so you know I, and I've had a lot of, of of people ask if I can do a special supper club for their networking event and my answer is usually no because um I 
it was never meant to be a networking event. It's meant to be a social, it's a social supper club. Um, it's meant, you know, people are meant to sit on tables with other people that they don't know. Um, people come on their own um, and then they'll go out for drinks with other people that have come to the supper club on their own. So it was never meant to be a networking event. And I don't think I'll ever sort of go down that route because Milton Keynes has a lot of networking events already. They all serve a purpose. Um, but it doesn't have a lot of spaces where people can just sort of meet in a very casual social social setting. Um, and yeah, they're great fun, like food, drink, people coming together. It's like, yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> Do you think the um, there's been a, I think Milton Keynes has always kind of struggled with this um, issue around there being all chain restaurants everywhere. Um, so do you think, you know, you're obviously playing quite a significant role in shifting that perception around um, what Milton Keynes actually has to offer. Um, what do you think the sort of next steps are for, I guess, the kind of independent food and drink operators in the area? Just going back to the fact that obviously, you know, Birmingham's got a huge scene, there's kind of spaces within towns, say like Digbeth, et cetera, there's lots of really interesting, mm -hmm. um, you know, venues that have got independent um, food and drink kind of businesses. You know, what, what's the next step for Milton Keynes, do you think? What's the kind of word on the ground, the kind of feeling within the sector, I guess, um, about how they, they could kind of grow that is such a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, in the last year, I've definitely seen a very big shift in perception. You know, a lot of the chain restaurants closed. Um, mm -hmm. They didn't open for takeaway in the first lockdown, um, which was insane, um, if you think about it, because, like, you know, yeah, where where are people going to eat, uh, you know, if they want something sort of special? So the independent restaurants literally had no choice because it's their livelihood. Um, their family run businesses. Some of them are one man bands. They literally had to be like, well, we have no choice but to carry on. Um, so there's definitely been a shift and people, they sort of moved into a space that the chain restaurants were no longer populating you know there was not a lot of noise on social media and um, people were just sitting on Facebook actively looking for for things they could do so I think that has prompted a shift and a lot of people um, that are members of my Facebook group a lot of members of my fam um, family and my friends they have all discovered new local businesses during lockdown that they will continue to use um, be it you know like cake makers um, my godmother is loving having her veg box delivered by uh, a local business as well and she's like I'm never going back to the supermarket so you know you, you've got these those sort of those gradual shifts and I think the challenge that Milton Keynes faces in particular is that it's not it's not a city in a city town it's not a isn't you know it's not a, a traditional it's not grown like Birmingham or, or Manchester or London from sort of like a central point it's sort of like an amalgamation of loads of different places um, and I think that is, you know, geographically, that's one of the challenges is that in Milton Keynes, you can't just walk down one high street and find everything in the same place. Like when you go to London, you literally will have every world cuisine down one street. But in Milton Keynes, you might go to sort of Wolverton and you've got like Japanese, Spanish and like Indian in one place. And then you go to Stony and you've got sort of like cake shops and there's there's different there's different places and pockets you have to go. And that's a bit of a challenge in itself. 
Um, but I do think that over the next year, next couple of years, there is going to be a bit more of like a flourishing of, of local businesses. I'm already seeing more independent places open in the city centre, um, which was not the case like five, ten years ago. You just wouldn't wouldn't find places. So I think the change also has to come from sort of the, the top as well, if you like, you know, these places that are letting out these buildings, particularly in the centre, have to understand that independent businesses do not operate or have the same budgets as chain restaurants. Um, so they have to do their bit to support them as well, because they're going to run the risk of sort of becoming a bit of like a demon if they're like they're just offering it out to large businesses um, because people get angry with stuff like that, especially on social media. Um, so, yeah, there is there is a bit of work to do in, in changing that. And obviously with the you know larger companies and and landlords that have these these spaces that independents can populate, uh, they are understandably about profit. Um, but there has to be a, there has to be they have to make space for independent businesses, and I think that is going to be the next step. Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer. <laughs> it, was a, it was an excellent answer, and, and you know, there's so many parts you touched on there. Um, and one of the things that just spoke to me then is actually our, our our geographical distribution of a lot of these independents across Milton Keynes. Whilst that can be a challenge, not having them in one centralised place, it does. It also plays into a part of the um, kind of placemaking of those individual pockets within Milton Keynes and then being destinations because, yeah. you know, a lot of these food places, Stony's a good example of that, actually. These food places actually draw people to Stony Stratford. Mm -hmm. And then it, you know, it's it has to be seen outside of, a bit like saying top down, you know, how does Stony Stratford actually leverage that and create, opportunity around that you know we know people are traveling to these places for food then what else can we offer them as a destination that's not just go pick up your takeaway and leave you know and, and i think the evolution of some of these places in milton Keynes will naturally and already has given space to it to independence but the center the center is still slower and, and i think quite rightly as you said there's that you know at the end of the day it's down to money isn't it and mm -hmm. a lot of these a lot of these spaces are just too expensive but you know your progressive developers are looking at like community and and you know and the importance of of destination and and, and kind of place making around that and um i agree i think there's like huge opportunity for that and it it makes for in, in a remote working world um it's quite exciting because you know the center certainly in milton Keynes, no doubt people will start going back to work but there'll be a lot of people like ourselves, in fact, who don't have dedicated offices, who want to be around um, other people or like-minded individuals. And um, that actually leads to my my next question about remote working, in fact. And, and you know, the future, now you are self-employed, how do you plan on working? Obviously, a lot of that's going to be at home, but do you kind of venture out of home to work workspaces? And, and, and uh, what are you kind of doing at the moment? Yeah, so my, my aim is to try and spend at least like a day a week um, at a coffee shop doing, doing work. Um, it's actually quite refreshing to have a change of scenery um, and it works in two great ways for me. I, you know, I get a change of scenery and 
Um, but I also get to go and support a local business and get some content for my blog. So it works. It works both. It, it sort of yeah works both ways for me. But I think yeah you know in the sort of cliche list of things that you should do when self-employed, um, going for a change of scenery and working somewhere else is 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 you know it's on that list, isn't it? Um, and you know I've got clients that all of my clients are basically based in Milton Keynes. So um, if I wanted to go and work with them um in their space as well um the the offer is always there so yeah it's um i'm not a massive i don't know i feel like the office is now going to become a bit of a place where like not so productive work happens <laughs> you sort of sit and have a chat with people and i do like working from home because i can just put my headphones in get my head down and 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 work um but yeah i'm, I'm going to try and keep it a bit fresh um, sometimes it might just be going downstairs to work in the dining room rather than in the office, but, um, <laughs> yeah. or the garden or the garden. Yes. Yeah. As we were, you know, yeah. Sticking your laptop in a cardboard box and, uh, and sitting out on a deck chair working in the sun. <laughs> on your journey so far, have you had any insights or epiphanies? I wouldn't say, well, maybe they are more epiphanies. Epiphanies all feels quite like a big like dramatic word doesn't it but um one of the main ones has actually been just sort of continuing from the conversation that we just had is that i do like working from home um i never really saw myself as like an, an entrepreneurial type of person but actually i've settled into things a lot better than i thought um i think another massive one you know is that sometimes you just have to 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 just do just do it um and you know taking that leap from employed life to self-employed life i could have faffed around for for weeks and weeks but actually um you know sometimes it is is better to to just do something um and and actually by doing is the only way especially in your own business is that you can learn um so i am i'm a bit of, i am a little bit of a perfectionist in that i would write i'm like oh i know I'll, I'll hold off doing that because i can't do it how i want to but actually um I have realized that you're better putting something out there sometimes, seeing how it goes down, and then you can refine it later. Um, and then that actually gives you more clarity. So um, the worst the worst thing with a lot of things is getting started, isn't it? It's, you know, until I started my business and, you know, already in the last couple of weeks, it's very different to sort of how I maybe anticipated it, it being. I sort of thought, um, that I'd have very set offerings, um, but actually I've realized I need to be a bit more flexible. Um, and it's only by having the, you know, sort of developing those offerings and, and giving them to people that I've learned that how I can refine them or perhaps they're not quite right. Um, so it is just like a constant change in process. Um, not ideal if, uh, if you're someone like me occasionally <laughs> where you suffer with a little bit of of self-doubt and imposter syndrome constantly questioning whether you're doing the right thing um but but yeah it's um it, it's just every day is I'm gonna use that cliche phrase of every day is becoming a school day <laughs> <laughs> well that's a good thing what what have you learned or um what would have you done differently um with regard to both you know sophie etc maybe and and uh, and your business I think um, with Sophie, et cetera, I probably would have taken, given myself a bit of permission to step back 
a bit more. I think at the start of lockdown in particular, I was so, I was like, I've got to pivot my content. Like I've got to write about stuff that people can do from home. And I was so, I I sort of did almost too much that I nearly burnt myself out. So that sort of towards the end of everything, I was like, oh gosh, I, I really need, I need a holiday, <laughs> I need a break. Um, so yeah, I would have probably, taken and I know had I known that it would have gone on for this long I would have done things a bit slower I think and then with um social etc the my you know my freelance stuff I would I would have probably been a little bit more theoretical um with things like pricing from the outset which I'm sure that every freelancer is like pricing is the biggest bane of uh, of your life like how do you work it out you know, what do you charge people? Is it too much? What are people willing to pay? Um, but in the same breath, I sort of, because things happen so quickly, I almost didn't have the opportunity to be that theoretical. I had to just put something out there so that I had an offering um, for people. Um, and now I'm taking a step back and being like, okay, now I know how much time I spend on clients, what my capacity, you know, potentially looks like. Um, and how long things take me. Now I can start to apply a bit of sort of theory to it. Um, so I wouldn't say it's necessarily something I'd have done differently, um, but that's probably the biggest thing I've learned. Yeah, really interesting and some and some great great points there. And uh, one I'll just touch on with regard to imposter syndrome um, and mental health specifically around social. Um, and that's something that I've been kind of just interested in. Um, I'm not a super social person in terms of social media, um, but like there's a lot of pitfalls and dangers around that, certainly mm -hmm. as a content creator. Um, and could you just give some insight into maybe how you manage or how you've managed some of that and maybe the lessons and kind of learned from speaking to a wider audience and and how that can go good and go bad? So um, I, from, a, from a mental health perspective, um, I actually have suffered with anxiety and panic attacks in the past. So um, I am all too familiar with that sort of yeah, feeling, feeling of, um, of dread and sort of constant, you know, worrying that you're doing something wrong. So I, I constantly <laughs> battle with that as well. Um, and yeah, social media, um, the 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 crazy thing I think I find out find about it is that people have this perception of you so when I've spoken about my anxiety like quite openly on my platforms I'll often get comments from people saying well you know you don't look like you know you seem like such a positive happy person blah 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 but I only share the highlights only share where I go for dinner like only share very certain aspects of my life and I think that obviously is one of the massive pitfalls and disadvantages of social media, probably, I mean, we wouldn't want to look at a social media feed that is just all doom and gloom. Like, let's face it, it's why I don't look at the news <laughs> because it's, it's a bit too depressing. Um, you want to go on social media and it almost sort of be an escape, but I think you also have to, you know, take a step back sometimes and realize that what you're looking at is just a highlight reel. And I, you know, I, I got it this week. I looked at someone's Instagram who also runs their own business and I was like wow she is doing so well like I wish I was at that point like I wish I was doing this almost like yeah that horrible like comparisonitis um mindset um 
and then I'm like, actually, no, I, I'm I'm doing all right. Like, you know, I can pay my bills. I've got clients coming in, got some proposals out there, which are really exciting. Um, and you social media sort of actively makes you compare yourself to other people um, and not look inward. Um, and I think that is obviously like a massive thing to battle with because I, you know, you're taking in so much information. You're seeing so many people every day. You're connected to so many people that you might not necessarily be connected to, um, which is obviously amazing. I've made some really great friends through it, but also you, yeah, you find yourself sitting, comparing yourself or going down a, a black hole, scrolling through their Instagram feed, looking at yourself like, what did I do wrong? Um, <laughs> and then in terms of sort of, you know, I've, I've been quite lucky in that I don't get a lot of negativity on social media. Um, the I think the most negative place tends to be places like Facebook. Um, obviously, I run a Facebook group um, which has over ten thousand people in it, um, and sometimes ninety eight percent of the time it's a really positive place to be, and I want to keep it positive because it's just more beneficial for everyone. But sometimes people can get really nasty in the comments, and things can escalate so quickly. And then I find myself having to mediate basically like a argument between grown adults in the comments which is just seems obscene um <laughs> and then you obviously you're not I sort of feel responsible for my own like mental health if you like but also you're reading these comments like wow there's other there are actually people behind these comments so that's another thing you know people forget that who they're speaking to isn't just like a social media account every social media account brands included are like there is a person there um and i think i think it was last year there was um yorkshire tea got the poor social media manager that ran that after they shared a, a picture of rishi sanak having a cup of yorkshire and everyone was going absolutely berserk and i just felt so as a social media manager i felt so sorry for this person you know they were getting death threats they were and they actually had to take a good few weeks off work after that because it was so damaging. And there has to be a real education, I think, especially with younger people that, you know, social media is such a big part of our lives now. It's not going anywhere. You have to take responsibility for what you're saying, but also just have that realisation that there is a person behind everything on social media and they're reading your comments. Yeah, I think that's great. <laughs> uh, and actually just to come back on... The previous the previous point around the sort of showing the highlight for real i think we're all completely guilty of that and looking and even what we do ourselves you know and it, i think that you're saying about it not being doom glim but i think there is a space for people to you know still and should you know obviously if feel comfortable to share the negative stuff as well you know mm -hmm. so i'm not saying obviously it becomes you know the glue that gloom and doom the news and stuff i think i think that would be more interesting i think people would actually rather than just share all the highlights and these amazing things would be you know i mean obviously that's that's always going to be tricky and you know a lot of people won't do that but i think it should be a place for that and i think mm -hmm. people should feel comfortable if they feel comfortable talking about it or, or sharing any issues they're having or problems they're having so it does change a bit the perception because it, it, it's, it's such a problem across adults and children anywhere you know and you, you do you are we all get guilty of oh wow you know in all kinds of forms whatever mm -hmm. business sport social whatever it may be you know we all kind of like we like, oh but that's they've got an amazing life or oh, i wish i was doing that and it's, again you have to take that step back but yeah. i think if people were 
also just sharing the little negative points that you know they do <laughs> the real life stuff sometimes as well yeah <laughs> i mean case, case in point is when i get messages from people asking me how i stay in shape when i'm eating like i do and i'm like i don't eat a burger like seven days a week for dinner or like i like i i eat i eat pretty balanced and healthy and i don't go out i try not if i'm going to do a food review i try to keep it to like friday to sunday because you know it upsets the week too much i try and i'm quite strict with that um and i sort of have to say to them I'm like guys i you know no one wants to see the salad i'm eating for lunch <laughs> they're here to find like you know the the exciting food and milk and keens and, and places to eat like you don't need to know that i'm eating a chicken salad or or whatever <laughs> okay so i think an ending point would be to say what's your what's your sort of top tip restaurant place in milton Keynes at the moment oh i hate it when people ask me this question <laughs> <laughs> because i love so many places for different reasons to be honest i am gonna say at the moment my i like yeah people you know, I promise I'm not sponsored by them or versa, <laughs> but um, the Cross Keys in in Woolstone in Milton Keynes is my sort of go to at the minute for for drinks, for food. It's just a nice pub, dog friendly outside, and the food is awesome. Nice service, um, and um, if you know seasonally, I would say as well, uh, Eat Street MK as a local street food event. Um, that's my favourite way to spend a Friday evening is going around every vendor um having something from them so yeah that's that's my there's there's, there's two there <laughs> that's all good that's all good we were at the cross keys the other night so um so yeah we concur <laughs> yeah it's good i think i've almost made my my way through everything on the menu um the manager saw me the other day and she said oh you're actually here more than i am <laughs> i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing <laughs> Sophie, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It's been awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Founders and Creators, brought to you by Protospace. To find out more about this podcast and our initiative, visit protospace.uk.